Uh, let, me, let me remind everyone real quickly that Jesus came. Luke 19, verse 12, 10 says, To seek and to save that which is lost. That which is lost was you. Now, when I, when I use the term you during this lesson, I want, please understand that I'm talking about myself too. But when, when we talk about what was lost, we have to understand, if we're going to understand Jesus and the New Testament and the Bible altogether is, that humanity is heading toward disaster. We're on our way to a devil's hell if something does not happen. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's appointed unto man once to die. We're not going to live forever. And Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. And everything in the New Testament that talks about judgment talks about justice, which means that we're going to have to answer for what we've done and how we've behaved. And the big problem is that we're going to have to answer for what we've done wrong. I don't mind answering for the good stuff. If someone says, well, Bill, what did you do good today? I can tell them. But then when they say, what did you do bad today? I'm not going to tell them. I don't want anybody to know what I did wrong. But I'm going to have to answer for that. And so Luke 19 and verse 10 says, Jesus came for the purpose to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, two things are involved in this. First of all, let's talk about saving. That's, that's the nicest one. That's the nicest part of this. He came to save us. He came to rescue us. He came to help me avert disaster. And it's a task. It was a gigantic, enormous task to come down here to this earth and to get me safe and to get you safe. So so difficult was it that it that it differed from any task that has ever been imagined by mankind. It it took it has taken God thousands of years to get to the point when Jesus came to prepare the world for the event that was going to take place on Calvary. It didn't just happen overnight. Thousands of years in planning. As a matter of fact, there were so many, so many years in planning that, that God prepared the world by telling the prophets what He was going to do, and the prophets in turn spoke of these things. Now, they didn't always understand what they were talking about, but it does say that they, they did prepare the world through what they were saying for the coming of Jesus. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and admonition of the Scriptures might have hope. That was the Old Testament prophets. They were, they were making preparation. Luke chapter 24 verse 26 says, Ought not Christ to have entered into His glory? Now He was talking to two men that had accompanied Him on a road between a little town named Emmaus, little village, and Jerusalem. This was after His resurrection. Jesus is talking to these two fellows. He's saying, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So He's basically saying, The world has been getting ready for Me. 
And God has sent the prophets to prepare you to listen to me. Now that's basically what's going on. John the Baptist came preaching repentance, saying, Hey, get, get yourself ready. Prepare your mind. Turn away from what you've been doing before. And get ready because someone is coming who's going to save you. He's coming. He, he, he was pointing to Jesus. It says, John came into all the country round about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Get people ready. Get your mind ready because somebody's coming to get you out of your sins, to rescue you. After John was imprisoned, Jesus himself began preaching the coming of the kingdom. For Bible students, Bible scholars, you need to understand that the kingdom of God is the place where God rules. And the only place God was ruling at that time was in His Son, Jesus. The only place in the world where God was ruling was in His Son, Jesus. So when He says the kingdom of God is at hand, He's talking about He's close by. Jesus is close by. And when we come into the kingdom, is when we come into Jesus. And He comes into us. That's the kingdom. Well, okay. Jesus then went to the cross. And He provided what was necessary for salvation. The text says He came to seek and to save. Sort of backwards, isn't it? He came to save and then to seek. Well, let's start. We're we're talking about His saving. So He came to save. His work was, His task was to help people out of their sins. To save save us from our sins. And he was determined that he was going to accomplish that. In John chapter 6 at verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me of all which he has given me. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. So He's saying, I'm working at that. I came, I came down here to get that done. That's what He's saying. And I will raise Him up the last day. In John 9 and verse 4, He says, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. For the night comes when no man can work. He came down here to do that task. To get that done. And when he went to Calvary, on his way, he said in John 17 verse 4, he was talking to the Father, and the only prayer we have of Jesus in the New Testament, in the Bible, is in John 17. If you're interested in how he prayed to God, that's John 17. And he said, I have glorified you on this earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. He said, I came to do the job, and I finished it. And then on the cross, you remember this one. On the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, when therefore he had received the vinegar, they stuck a sponge sort of thing on a stick filled with vinegar and stuck it up in his face. And when it says, when he had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He did it. He saved. He did it. And then it says, then he gave up the ghost. That's the saving part. 
One of the most amazing things about this whole plan of salvation is that in the first time and the only time in history, God came looking for you. You know, that's, that's never been done before. Men look for God. But God, when He sent Jesus to this earth, came looking for you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we've got the saving part. What about seeking? How does He find you? How, did you know He's been looking for you? How, did he, how does He find you? Well, after His resurrection, He told the apostles something. He said, I, I want you to go for me. And I want you to go seek for me. He says in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have, I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. Now, the interesting thing about this is, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, is that he told the apostles, he said, He that receives you, receives me. He that receives me, receives him that sent me. So when they went out preaching, they were looking for you on the behalf of Jesus. Simple, huh? That's not hard. Well, what's going on is, that he's sending these men out to preach the gospel. And as they speak the words of God, that's the way God intends to find you. To find you through his word. To find you through the gospel. That's, the, that's really the difficult part, isn't it? Jesus is looking for you, but how's he going to find you? First of all, he has to let you know that he's looking for you. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What? He's saying the power of God is in the gospel, and that will bring about salvation. We're told that salvation hinges upon whether or not I believe that Jesus is the Christ. But I can't believe He's the Christ until I hear about Him. Am I, am I, am I right? I have to hear about Him. Somebody's got to tell me about Jesus. Because Jesus wants to talk to me and tell me how much God loves me. And He wants to tell me that He wants to bring me home. I have to hear the Gospel. Romans chapter 10 to verse 9 and 10 says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And first, that's verse 17. Verse 9 says we have to hear before we can believe. Now when we hear, then we can believe. And our belief is, according to John chapter 3 verse 16, is our salvation. Simple enough, isn't it? Okay, so Jesus is looking for me. And in order for him to find me, I have to hear about him. In order to hear about him, somebody's got to tell me about him. Or I have to read about him. You know, I'm holding in my hand a magic book. You've read about Aladdin and the, the magic lamp. He let the genie out of the lamp. I'll tell you what. When you open this book, the genie comes out. That's Jesus. Jesus comes out of this book through his word. And He will reach out and grab you by your heart. And He will pull you in. If you never open the book, you'll never hear that He's looking for you. If you never hear the Gospel, you won't know that He cares anything about you. 
He, he's seeking you, but this is the way He's going to find you. This is the only way. We, we sometimes are concerned about our health. We, we should be concerned about our health. And the older we get, the unhealthier we, we become because we're heading for that precipice called death. But sometimes we become overly concerned, or at least concerned, about some of the fatal diseases. I have all sorts of problems. I'm sure you do too. And the doctors ignore them. Because I can, I can come tell them what all's going on. They'll say, oh, it's okay, you're getting older. And he's right. Anyway, we've got problems. But some diseases are fatal and really terrifies, like cancer. Sin is the cancer of the soul. It really is. And Jesus has the medicine for that sin, for that cancer. And that medicine is in this book. That's the magic pill. If you take this magic pill, it will cure your disease of the soul. That will do it. Now, the question we have is, why don't more people seek the great physician? Why don't, why, when, we, when, we, when we are preaching the gospel, why don't more people listen and understand it? Well, one reason is, the self-righteous don't believe they're sick. Isn't that right? I'm not sick. Why do I need a physician? Why do I need, why do I need medicine? I have a brother-in-law that died three weeks after they found out that he had cancer. He didn't know he had it. He didn't know he had it. Three weeks later, he was gone. It stunned us. I mean, it stunned us. And you've probably got the same sort of story. The self-righteous do not know that they are diseased. And they're not going to listen. The uh, Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18 went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee looked out at the publican. The publican was a tax collector, and he was a guy that was notoriously um, a sinner. He, he cheated people. And he fell down on his face, and he said, Lord, he said, he wouldn't even look up. He said, I'm a sinful man. And the Pharisee looked at him and said, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Here was a man that didn't know he was sick. Do you, people are like that. Well, when I'm teaching someone or trying to teach them, or trying to... Let's, let's put it another way. Maybe I'm not trying to teach them. Maybe I'm trying to tell them the story of Jesus. That's all I should be doing. When I, when, when I have an obligation towards someone that I know is sick, and I know there's a, a medicine, a cure for the sickness, I'll just tell them about it. They can do what they want. Isn't that correct? Okay, here's a person sick in sin. Here's the cure. Now that person can do what they want. They don't have to, they don't have to take the medicine. The Athenians, when Paul went to talk to the Athenians in, uh, in Athens, and he went up to Mars Hill, they wanted to hear what he had to say. When he preached to them about Jesus and told them about this man who could take away their sins and show them heaven and give them a resurrection, they made fun of him. Now, people may make fun of you if you tell them about Jesus, but still, 
They need to hear. You say, well, why don't they understand? I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. I have an obligation personally to tell them the story of Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. The wealthy are fairly content with where they are. They, they're probably not going to listen much about it anyway. Lazarus and the rich man in, in Luke chapter 16 at verse 9. Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was uh, fared sumptuously all day, it says. And Lazarus was set at his doorstep full of sores and the dogs licked his wounds. And, and they died that day and Lazarus went to hell into the bad part of Hades. Or, I mean, the rich man did, and Lazarus was, was in the bosom of Abraham. And the problem was that the rich man just couldn't have been, couldn't have been bothered with Jesus. You know, when we have, have so much money and so many things that can distract us and entertain us, why should we be concerned about our souls? We're wealthy. We have what we need. We've got cars. We've got homes. We've got houses. We've got families. We've got clothes. We've got, we've got, we have, we have, we have, we have. I read sometime, some time ago that in the United States we are the most wealthy nation on earth. Even the middle class would be considered absolutely obnoxiously wealthy in the third world countries. We are wealthy. We have everything we need. So why, why should we be concerned about our soul? Sometimes we're too, we're too overcome with what we have. In Matthew chapter 19, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what must I do to have eternal life? He realized he was lost. Jesus said, Well, here, keep the commandments. And he said, Oh, I've done all that. So Jesus said, Okay, sell what you have, give the poor, and come follow me. You know, sometimes that bothers us, doesn't it? Should, do we have to give away everything we have and follow Jesus? No, that's not what he was saying. What he was saying to this young man was, I will take care of you, boy. Matter of fact, one of the texts says he looked at Jesus, looked at this young man, and loved him. He really was attracted to this young fellow. He said, "Sell what you have and come follow me. I'll come with me." And he didn't. He 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 uh, he had too much, so he didn't do it. And later on, the apostles came to Jesus and they said, Hey, what's going on? And Jesus said, It's easier for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. A camel going through the eye of a needle. Needles probably at that, that time had bigger eyes than they do now. But not big enough to let a camel pass through it. And people have tried to avoid that and say, Oh, it's talking about a gate where the camels had to bow down and crawl through the gate called the needle. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying it's, it's tougher. It's tougher for a rich man to get to heaven than it is for a camel, a dromedary, go through the eye of a darning needle. That's what he's saying. Why? Because when we get wealthy and rich, we don't need anything. And we certainly don't need God. We have too much fun going on. We have things happening in our life. Well, we could go on and on about this. What I want to do is, is say this. I want to take you back to an illustration uh, that, that, uh, that I think you, you will understand because you're modern folks. Everybody here is modern. Let's talk about computers, shall we? Let's talk some geek talk. Okay. Geek talk is, if you have a computer, you, there is a possibility on your computer 
that you're going to do something wrong in that, on that computer. Matter of fact, there's a probability that you're going to do something wrong on that computer. Bonnie asked me all the time, can I hurt this? And you know, when I first started using a computer, John Kearns told me you can't hurt them. He was wrong. <laughs> I hurt my computer. I always did. Bonnie asked me the question, can I hurt my computer? Can I hurt it? I said, yes, don't do anything. Stop. You can hurt that thing. Or you can hurt me while I'm trying to get it back running again. I don't know a lot about computers, but I know some things. I'm not a geek, but I do know some geek-isms. One is that on a computer, there's such a thing as a virus. Does anybody here not know anything about computers besides Bob King? <laughs> Does anybody else not know anything about computers? A virus is sometimes called a bug. What happens is you, you allow a program into your computer that can sort of take over with another computer and attach itself to your hard drive and get into your other components. Sometimes they're called Trojan horses. Uh, sometimes they're called worms. Uh, there are other names for them. But there's, there's several, all five or six different names of different types of, of viruses that can, that can infect, and actually infect your computer and make it malfunction. I remember not long ago, that I tried to get into, into a program that, that actually was a legitimate program. You know, you can mess up. You can mess up and open programs in your computer that you have no business opening. If you get email from someone you don't recognize, don't open it because they're wanting in your computer. Okay, I got into, into, into a program that was legitimate. At least it looked legitimate. And I was looking for, I was wanting to get into bank records, my bank records. And this one appeared as if it was part of my bank. And this thing flashed up and it locked my computer up. I mean, locked it up. And of course, I could get out if I paid a certain sum to whoever could fix this thing. Well, I managed, I managed to squiggle out of it. I got out of it and got my computer back and I avoid that. But, but the problem is that it is, it is easy to let a virus into your computer. You have to be very careful. And so there are antivirus programs that you can put on your computer that will keep these viruses out. You know what keeps sin out of your life? This is your antivirus program. This is the thing that keeps the bugs out. When you open this word, Jesus is, here's another geek word for you, Jesus is our firewall. He's our firewall. And His word is our firewall. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word protects us. We take the shield of the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit and we can keep sin out of our lives. And we can control sin. We can control it by keeping ourselves free from it. Now, what we're talking about here is how we can be saved. And how God can seek us. He seeks us by 
hearing the word of God, by hearing the gospel. That's the way we. That's that's the way he seeks us. And the question is has to be in this, in all of this is how can Jesus find us? And if we're found, if he finds us, how can we find others? Now I, I want you to be saved too. So the only way I can do that is to tell you the story of Jesus. Did you know that? Now, if you hear the story, you should be telling someone else. I'm not telling you to go out and give somebody the complicated plan of all of God's series of mysteries. I'm saying all you need to do is go tell someone the story of Jesus. You say, who? Well, the wealthy don't want to hear it. The mighty and the wise and the noble, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians two six is they don't want to hear it. The, those that are wealthy, they don't want to hear it. Who wants to hear it? Who wants to hear? Who wants to be saved? Jesus found some in the book of uh, Matthew in, in chapter five. He found he found a lot of folks. He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and so he named different ones who would be susceptible to the message of salvation. It's not my business, not my job to determine who will or will not be saved. And it's not yours either. My business is tell the story of Jesus. Tell someone about Jesus of Nazareth. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them that Jesus died on the cross for them. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Tell someone that Jesus is looking for them and open this book now you say they may not want to listen to me here we come back to this geekism if they won't listen to you tell them to get on their computer and tune in to our website and they can hear I'll tell them I'll tell them about Jesus and I'll help you tell them about Jesus tell them about Jesus if they don't have a New Testament give them a New Testament See? <laughs> there are those who are seeking the Lord. Those who want to know about God. There are those who sorrow because they have sinned. And their, their sorrow is not ungodly sorrow. It's godly sorrow. They want to repent. And there are those who are seeking and knocking. And Jesus is standing at the door. And He's ready to save them. Those who respond to the love of God are those who will be saved and those who will respond to that message. He sent Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost. And the way they're saved is to hear the simple story of the cross. Can you tell that story? You don't have to go out and fight, fight over someone, someone over which church is right and which church is wrong. What you need to do is tell them about Jesus. They'll figure it out who's right and who's wrong. They'll figure out what's right and what's wrong because they'll look in the Scriptures and they'll see. Can you tell someone the story? That's all you have to do. If you can't tell them, call me. I'll help you learn how to tell them. We can tell the story of the cross of Jesus Christ and help this world be saved. God bless you in your efforts to do that. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation.